Welcome back to Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast, where we dive into the heart of what makes the property market tick. I'm May Claire Bolton-Smith, your host and curious observer of all things related to property, from affordable housing to market trends and the impacts of natural disasters to climate change. I want to converse about it all. Interest rates. We have spent the last two years talking about record low interest rates, but now the tables have turned. Quite rapidly, interest rates have ballooned up and are flying high. These soaring rates have put upward pressure on prices that have inflated at the highest annual rate since 1982. All of this has prompted the Federal Reserve to step in and raise the interest rate for federal funds. For years, interest rates have hovered at near zero. Then, in the first five months of this year, the Fed increased its rates by three quarters of a percentage point. And this was only the beginning of planned interest rate hikes. In March, the Fed announced that it intends several hikes over the course of 2022, raising federal fund rates to nearly 2%. Rate hikes to federal funds will have a cascading effect since they are foundational for other interest rates in industries like auto, property, and banking. As a result, nearly all consumer goods will be touched, which has the potential to raise prices in the process. However, one of the areas where this change will be felt acutely is the property market. This sector of the economy may be the most sensitive to interest rate hikes because of the size of a mortgage loan and the resulting increase in monthly payments. To help untangle the relationship between the current rate of inflation, interest rates, and the effects on the property market, we once again welcome back CoreLogic's Chief Economist, Dr. Frank Notaft. Frank, welcome back to Core Conversations. Why, thank you so much, McClare. Thanks for having me back. Always happy to have you back. So, Frank, you're likely well known to our listeners, but before we dive into this highly talked about topic here, can you just remind our listeners a little bit about your background and your role here at CoreLogic? Oh, absolutely. Uh, So I started off my career at the Federal Reserve Board in Washington, D.C., and I was working on property markets and mortgage markets at that time. Uh, And from there, I went to Freddie Mac, and I was uh, chief economist at Freddie Mac for a number of years before I came here to CoreLogic, and I've been chief economist here at CoreLogic. Part of what my team does is use the various products and uh, data analytics that we do have here at CoreLogic in order to follow the trends and latest developments uh, in the housing and mortgage markets and use that information to uh, generate projections as to what we expect to transpire in the marketplace. Fantastic. And one of the reasons why you are one of our favorite guests here on Core Conversations. So let's start by setting the stage and explaining why rising rates have such an outsized effect on the property market. So I guess a few questions are, how fast have mortgage rates risen over the last year? And what do the rising rates mean for borrowers and really the economy at large? Oh, I tell you, McLaren, mortgage rates have really shot up. If we're looking at 30-year fixed rate mortgages, they're up by more than two percentage points just from the beginning of this year. Wow. And if we go back to last year, at the start of last year, we had the record low rock bottom mortgage rates for 30-year fixed. From that time to now, mortgage rates are up more than two and a half percentage points, wow. which makes really a big change uh, for uh, what it costs to obtain a mortgage. The last time we had such a rapid increase in mortgage rates in such a short period of time was way back in the early 1980s. So we haven't really seen an increase of this magnitude over such a short period of time in close to 40 years. 
Wow, that that is really remarkable. And why it is such a story as well, too. I guess, you know, often we talk about the consumer price index, the CPI, and what percentage of the CPI do mortgage payments or rental payments really, what percentage do they represent? Oh, that is such an interesting question, McClare. And it's because actually, the way housing costs show up in the consumer price index is not through mortgage payments. It's not through uh, uh, housing prices. It is through rental payments. Oh, uh, And so housing costs show up in terms of the amount of rent that tenants pay and the owner's equivalent rent. And what that means is that what the government does in the inflation metric is they estimate or they impute what the equivalent rent would be for an owner-occupied housing unit. So oh, that's wow. the way housing costs show up in the consumer price index. And right now, the um, uh, housing costs represent about one-third of the overall consumer price index. And if you look at the core of the CPI, and a lot of economists prefer to look at the core because it excludes food and energy, which tend to be very volatile okay. on a month-to-month basis. So if you look at core CPI, housing costs represent about 40% of the overall core CPI. And that's all coming through in terms of the, the rental payments, the rental costs. That that's fascinating. I really did not realize or understand that that's how that worked. Why do they do it that way? Why do they essentially, you know, figure out how much you rent your own home from yourself or renting it, I guess, from your mortgage? Well, partly um, the government felt that the uh, using house prices or mortgage rates tend to be very volatile and do not capture mm. the, uh, the the true cost of the um, shelter services that okay. the owner occupant is. Uh, you know, gaining or receiving from uh, living in the home. And so to put it on a comparable basis to what the government was measuring for uh, rental homes, uh, the government decided, okay, we'll, um, we'll use a similar procedure, but we'll impute or estimate what an equivalent rent would be that the owner-occupant would be paying to themselves in order to uh, live in that home. Wow, that that's really interesting. So... I guess a lot of times when we talk about mortgages, we think about them in the the state of fixed rate mortgages, but not everyone has fixed rate mortgages. There are also adjustable rate mortgages. So what do these changes mean for people with adjustable rate mortgages? Well, it actually means that the interest rates are going to go up uh, on the adjustable rate mortgages, especially if they come to the adjustment date. Because typically the way an adjustable rate mortgage on a home uh, works here in the United States is that there's a, an initial period where the rate is fixed. But then once you hit the adjustment date or the anniversary date, then the uh, interest rate adjusts to the current new short-term interest rate plus wow. an index or a margin above that. And so with short-term interest rates rising, That means that homeowners who currently have an adjustable rate mortgage and who are approaching their adjustment date, they're going to see their interest rate rise. Now, the most common um, adjustable rate mortgage in the United States right now is what's called the 5-1 hybrid arm. Okay. And it's called a hybrid arm because it has an initial fixed rate period. And that's what the 5 represents. On a 5-1 hybrid arm, you have an initial fixed rate period of five years, and then it becomes a one-year adjustable. Okay. Uh, So if you have a 5-1 arm, 
you actually have your interest rate fixed for five years, and then it'll adjust depending on what's happened with short-term interest rates. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's not something that we've really talked about before about the, these adjustable rate mortgages. So I guess, you know, if we think back to the just interest rates in general, part of the the reason or the idea behind increasing interest rates is so that the government can temper inflating consumer prices. And we've seen just consumer prices shooting up all over the place. Um, however, when it comes to real estate, won't these higher rates theoretically lead to even higher monthly payments for many of the home buyers? Oh, absolutely. Especially if you're a current home buyer, if you're in the marketplace to buy a, a, yeah. a home and finance it with a mortgage, absolutely, you're facing much higher interest rates and you're facing uh, much higher mortgage payments. And, and really, it's a double whammy if we compare today's home buyer with someone who was in the market one year ago looking to yeah. buy a home. A double whammy in the sense that home prices are up big time and now we've got mortgage rates up as well. So home prices are up about 20% in the CoreLogic Home Price Index for the United States. Now you add on the fact that mortgage rates are now up roughly two and a half percentage points or more uh, from this past year. That means that to buy a, a similar or comparable house as last year, the uh, typical homeowner is facing a um, monthly mortgage payment that's about 50% bigger than it was a year wow. ago. And that's because of a double whammy of home prices up and mortgage rates up. Wow, that that is that's shocking. That that is those are numbers that people don't want to hear. So I mean I, I think of this from the perspective of new home buyers or people just looking for a new or larger home. Does this mean that we can expect that people fewer people are going to be able to afford a new home or afford a mortgage. And maybe there'll be fewer people getting into the property, into the housing market. Um, maybe people won't be. I know we had this shortage of properties and high demand. A lot of people were looking for properties when interest rates are so low. Now we're in this opposite place where there's people that are maybe wanting to sell. There's more inventory now, but maybe homes are going to sit on the market because people actually can't afford them. Well, uh, you really hit the nail on the head, um, McClare, because that's really the issue. Um, for a lot of home uh, prospective home buyers, they're really feeling the squeeze because yeah. with monthly principal and interest payments roughly 50% larger than they would have been a year ago, to buy the same type of home, uh, that really takes a big bite out of the monthly income. Uh, it's, a, it's a big portion of the monthly budget that a family has to plan for. And so there will be some families who will say, gee, you know, I just can't, can't swing that right now. And they'll pull yeah. back, pull out of the home purchase market. And so what we do expect to see over the course of the next several months is some, uh, some weakening of demand, some slackening of uh, home buyer demand as this erosion of affordability really starts to take a toll. So as we get into the second half of 2022 and into 2023, I think we will see some weaker demand. We'll see also that homes are, that are listed for sale on the market, they'll probably stay on the market longer than what we had seen over the last few months. They'll stay on the market longer. And instead of having 5, 10, 15, 20 contracts come in, yeah. the seller may only see one contract come in. So that'll restore some balance in terms of negotiation between the prospective home buyer and the home seller. Uh, as you know, for much of the last year, we've been in a seller's market. 
Yeah. Um, sellers have uh, listed their home, got multiple contracts in a short period of time, and home buyers were bidding against each other. I think that's going to change, and we're going to see that change over the coming months. Wow, definitely a different story than we've heard for the last couple of years, for sure. So it, it makes my mind think, too, you know, we talked about rent a little bit earlier, too. It, this is not just impacting home buyers. This is also impacting renters as well, too. I, I had a visit with a friend this weekend, and he said that his rent just went up 20% from Whoa, last year. 20%. Whoa, huge, huge, huge increase. Yeah. So, I mean, this is something that I'm expecting is probably going to impact the rental market as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we've heard stories exactly like that. So at yeah. CoreLogic, we do have a single family rent index. So we can really track and measure closely what's happening with single family rent growth. So your, your friend is actually in a market where uh, rents are rising more rapidly than what we're seeing in our national index. So with our CoreLogic single family rent index, we saw that on average, rents are up about 13% in uh, the national market, national uh, composite index. But it mm. varies a lot by market. There are some markets where rents are rising 20, 25, even 30% or more over the past wow. year. And that makes it very challenging for uh, those families who are in the uh, rental market to be able to afford to rent. Definitely. And even if they can afford to pay those rents, what it means is that it makes it that much harder for them to save up the nest egg that they ultimately need in order to transition into first-time home ownership. And that's the big challenge right now in the marketplace, because with home prices up 20% over the last year in our national composite index, in our home price index, that means that the nest egg that a prospective first-time home buyer needs to have is roughly about 20% higher than it was a year ago. Where does wow. that nest egg go? That goes to the down payment, that yeah. goes to the closing costs, and that goes to the rainy day funds, the savings that you need to have after you settle on the home. Uh, but with rents up uh, so much, especially wow. in some markets, it just makes it that much more challenging for a first-time home buyer just to kind of amass that nest egg that they need in order to buy a home. Yeah, de definitely. It, that's just, uh, those are staggering increases. I, I guess the question is, is there, are there areas of the country that are seeing higher increases than others? Is this a regional issue? Like we see, I mean, we see that with property prices. Yeah. Is it the same with some of the increases? Yeah. We're, we're seeing some of, some of the biggest increases in um, markets where, uh, generally, there's a lower cost of uh, living uh, and has been um, uh, attracting some of the uh, internal population migration that we have seen in the United States during the last two years during the pandemic. Right. So we're look, you know, if we look around the mountain states out west or we look in, at some of the southern states, that's where we're seeing some of the biggest increases in rents and home prices. So, for example... Uh, in our rent index, Miami is just topping the charts right now oh, wow. with a rent growth of 30% uh, or more over the last wow. uh, few months. Um, and looking out toward West, Phoenix continues to be a hot market with uh, rents and home prices up significantly. And mm -hmm. following north all the way up the, uh, the mountain range, Boise, Idaho continues mm. to be a market where home prices and rents are up significantly over the last uh, couple of years. 
Wow, it's so it's so interesting. Some of these uh, we've talked about unconventional metros in in some of our previous podcasts of people moving because of this huge work from home initiatives and and people having the ability to be remote from their from their jobs as it's not these major centers where people generally flock to for for jobs. So th- that's really really interesting. It, it, it is. I tell you, the pan- the pandemic has been such an interesting period for exactly those reasons that you have said. Um, during the pandemic, a lot of families wanted to move out of high density, high population yeah. density urban cores and move further out where they could have more social distancing from their neighbors. And with remote work, they needed to have more space inside their home in order to have their home office. And in some yeah. cases, to have their home schoolroom as well. Yeah. Um, and so that's really increased the demand for interior space and the demand for single family homes, whether it's for purchase or for rent. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something you and I have talked about before, Frank, on other episodes of this podcast, too, of the need for more space. And I mean, my family is a classic example of this is now having two of us working from home during the pandemic. And uh, we are we had a baby during the pandemic. So I, this extra there's not enough space in our house anymore. And I know that a lot of people are in that same boat of needing extra space and needing to find bigger properties. So yeah, it's really interesting. And I think, you know, if we kind of focus back on the this, the rent, as well. Again, I, I think back to a couple of episodes ago, we had principal economist Molly Basil from your office talk to us about myths in the housing market. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I do encourage you to. I think it's my favorite of the season so far. And she mentioned that, you know, in the answer to this, the million dollar question of whether the U.S. is currently in a housing bubble is basically no, we're not. But however, if we look at the single family rent index and some of these these numbers that you've just mentioned to us, we're seeing these larger jumps than we've ever seen or seen in, in many, many decades. How long do you anticipate this trend lasting, considering the measures the, the Fed is taking to stave off any further inflation? Oh, and I tell you, it's it's a great question, uh, and and there is a lot of concern about overheated uh, housing markets mm-hmm. and prices and rents getting too too high. Uh, and I do think we're seeing the uh, cresting of the price growth and rent growth in the marketplace this spring. And what we're going to see in coming months is a moderation in home price growth. It's not going to be immediate. Okay. It's not going to be immediate, but we will see that moderation. And our current forecast for home price growth in our national index over the next 12 months, so that would be through to the spring of 2023, is a much slower rate of price growth, with prices rising about 5% or so uh, from the spring of 2022 to the spring of 2023. Um, So with prices rising, I guess I'd have to agree with uh, my colleague Molly that, no, we're not in the housing bubble. We don't see uh, national home prices uh, declining or falling in any way. And most markets, I think, will be just fine. I don't think we're going to see a price decline in most markets. Something to keep aware of, though, is that even if prices are rising in a national index, typically we do see some local neighborhoods, some local markets where home prices are declining. And that's actually very typical. Um, That's typically what we do see, even if the national index is rising, 
there may be five or 10% of all communities in the US where prices are actually stagnant or falling. Right. So we, we will st- uh, see some price corrections some declines in some places of the country. We'll probably see some rents beginning to uh, ease as well. Um, but, but no bubble nationwide, no broad-based uh, price decline. And I'll tell you the, um, a main reason why that's the case, uh, McClare. It's because we have an underbuilt housing market in the United States. Mm. And currently, the vacancy rate for housing is at a generational low. So wow. it's very, very different from the situation we saw back in 2006, 7, and 8, when we had the start of the Great Recession and the uh, U.S. housing market was in a price bubble. Right. Back then, in 2006, 2007, 2008, we had an overbuilt housing market and mm-hmm. vacancy rates that were high and rising. It's completely different this time around. I, I'm glad you drew that analogy because I think that's really important because anytime there's you know something volatile in the property market, people always go back to the Great Recession of the 20, 2007, 2008 and there. So I, I'm glad you made that comparison. But I think, you know, one other thing that kind of comes to mind, and and I did not expect this conversation to focus so much on rental rates and how rental rates really were related and impacted. I, I didn't quite understand the, the, the relation prior to us having this conversation. But I guess one thing is, rising rental rates and are there any kind of headwinds that may frustrate the federal attempt to lower inflation back to that two percent target that it's trying to get to oh hey i'm really glad you brought that up mcclair uh and i I really think that is going to be an issue for the fed and Mm. for any of the government policymakers in coming months because of the fact that housing costs represent such a big part of the consumer price index. As we talked about earlier, it's about one third of the overall consumer price index and about 40% of the core consumer price index. 40% represents housing costs, especially as manifested in terms of the rent data. So with with rents uh, rising at such a rapid rate, that has yet to be fully incorporated into the metrics for the consumer price index. And I'll tell you why. Um, It gets a little little technical, but what the uh, analysts at the, um, who create the consumer price index are doing is they wanna measure what's the change in the average cost of housing across the entire um, housing stock. And because Mm -hmm. the typical length of a lease in the the, um, residential market is about 12 months, about a one-year lease, Yeah. Uh, basically they're capturing one-twelfth of the rise in market rents each okay. month um, to reflect the fact that typically a tenant has a 12-month lease. So the increase okay. in uh, rent in housing costs in the consumer price index is much, much lower than what we're seeing with the CoreLogic Single Family Rent Index. It's been, uh, the the rent metric in the Consumer Price Index has been trending up, and I'm afraid it's gonna continue trending up in uh, the next several months. And that's going to uh, be a headwind that uh, frustrates the Fed's attempt to bring down the overall inflation rate even more quickly. 
Right. Yeah. No, no. So interesting. It's so interesting. And I guess it leads to the next question too of, you know, we talked about potential consequences of just, you're going to need 50% more money to be able to afford your mortgage than you would have in the last couple of years. But are there any other things that people should consider any other consequences for, I guess for both homeowners and renters, if inflation rates aren't tamed and if they do continue to skyrocket? Well, if inflation rates remain elevated, then we'll, uh, we, we may see, and this, and this is a big concern the Federal Reserve has, uh, we may see that inflation expectations no longer remain anchored at 2% per year. So that's been the Fed's goal uh, for mm-hmm. a long time. In fact, prior to this run-up in inflation, the average inflation rate has been running about 2% for two decades, 2% per year. And the Fed has succeeded in keeping inflation expectations anchored at that 2% per year level. Their concern is what if, what if uh, inflation expectations rise? What if they go to yeah. 4% per year or higher? Uh, what that means is that the overall market interest rates will be uh, much higher uh, than they have been for the last 20 years. Uh, you can think of it this way. If you're uh, an investor in bonds or mortgage-backed securities, if uh, your expectations for inflation are now two percentage points higher uh, for the next decade than they had been previously, then you're going to need a yield or a return on investments in bonds, in mortgage-backed mm-hmm. securities. That's roughly two percentage points higher in order for you to make the same type of return on your investment. So that means interest rates, including mortgage rates, are going to be elevated and remain roughly two percentage points higher, in my example, than they had been than they had been in uh, in the past. So that makes uh, housing costs a lot more uh, expensive and uh, challenging for uh, for um, home buyers and for uh, you know prospective first-time home buyers. Another issue is that's a really interesting one, McLean, that we're beginning mm-hmm. to look at is what um, a lot of uh, real estate agents refer to as the lock-in effect of higher mm-hmm. interest rates. And I'll tell you what, I, what they mean by that. So many homeowners have either uh, bought a home over the last couple of years or refinanced yeah. into a low-rate mortgage. So lots of homeowners, uh, in fact, almost half of all the homeowners in the country have a mortgage rate of three and a quarter percent or lower. So now mortgage rates are, you know, up around four and a quarter, four and a half percent. What if they get up to five percent? There are a lot of existing homeowners who want to keep their low rate, cheap mortgage that they took out over the last couple of years. And they'll be reluctant to list their home for sale and move and relocate because that means when they buy their next home, they're going to be paying on a mortgage that's a lot more expensive. A lot more. And yeah. so what we may see is that there are a lot of uh, homeowners who were planning to list their home for sale over the next two, three years, but now may be dissuaded from doing so because mortgage rates are so much higher than what they are currently paying on their mortgage on the home that they currently live in. 
Yeah, that is such an important point right there. And my brain is going in a million directions too, because darn, I was kind of thinking we needed to buy a new house soon because we've outgrown ours. But you've just convinced me that's not going to happen, Frank, because (laughs) everything is so much more expensive because of the mortgage rates. But it just shows how volatile the industry is and why it's so important to really pay attention and track these these types of metrics. So I guess a a couple other things too. One, One second to last question I do want to get to is, what would happen if if inflation does slow down? Where would that leave homeowners if if things if inflation did did go down from the skyrocketing where we're currently seeing it? Well, I think that'd be good for for everybody, whether you're a homeowner or a renter. Um, uh, it's 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 really very hard on a family's pocketbook when yeah. home prices or when the cost of everything is going up so quickly. Um, so I, I think that'll that'll help, and that'll help longer term to keep interest rates, including mortgage rates, right. uh, much lower and lower than uh, they have been uh, in recent weeks. So I think I think that would be really good news. The only question is, can the um, the Federal Reserve achieve an economic scenario where inflation yeah. does slow down, does get back to the Fed's two percent inflation per year target, without causing a recession? Yeah, uh, I think they may be able to pull it off, uh, but that is the big question right now. Um, how much of an economic slowdown might occur from the actions the Fed takes to raise interest rates? Will that trigger a, um, a recession? And if it does, how severe would that recession be? Yeah, and I think that's the million-dollar question there right now. And um, I guess just, just to wrap up here, I guess, can we maybe finish off with a bit of a macro view on short, medium, and long-term effects of rising interest rates for both renters and homeowners? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think the real challenge in the near term, in the short term, is the fact that uh, with home prices up so much and with mortgage rates uh, ups as much as they've risen over the last few months, um, it really is, it, it has rapidly eroded affordability for home buyers, especially mm-hmm. for first time home buyers, and um, uh, probably means that we will see a reduction in home buying demand, especially among first time home buyers. And unfortunately, yeah. that's kind of what we're seeing in the early data for the spring 2022 home buying market. We're seeing a little bit of pullback. From first-time home buyers, because uh, the, the the increase in costs has uh, weeded out uh, some uh, prospective home buyers. Um, sure. I think longer term, I, I I remain hopeful that the Fed will be able to contain inflation. So longer term, and by longer term, I mean thinking out two years from now, not just a okay. few months, but by 2024. I do think we'll see that the Fed's got uh, inflation under control and we'll see some lower interest rates by then. But it's not something that's going to be achieved in the next few weeks or in the next few months. Well, this has been so interesting, Frank, and it'll be interesting to see how things kind of unfold over the next couple of years and not expecting big changes in inflation over the next couple of weeks or months. But let's see how it does play out over the course of the next couple of years. So thank you so much, Frank, for joining us today on Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, McClare. Great to catch up. Always wonderful to have you here and, and look forward to having you back again. 
And thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Jesse Devenins, editor and sound engineer Romeo Roman, and social media duo Sarah Beck and Michaela Brooks. Tune in next time for another core conversation. 